Spirit do? Um, what, is, what is He doing in us and for us? And so where we've been so far, especially for those who haven't been with us, right, we looked at the gift of the Spirit in Acts, that the reason God gives us the Holy Spirit is so that we might be His faithful witnesses in the world to explain the gospel uh, to our neighbors. Uh, then we looked at the, the way the Spirit makes us alive to God in Ezekiel. Um, in Jesus' words, that's because of the Spirit we're born again, we're new creations. Uh, in other words, it's a miracle if that anyone is a Christian and is interested in Jesus. And then last week, we looked at the way the Spirit uh, makes God's real, uh, God's love real to our hearts, that He... Yeah, he strengthens and prepares us to, to comprehend the magnitude of God's love to us in Christ. And it's, it's something that we as Christians ought to pray for and expect to happen. And this morning we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit, and then next week, God willing, we'll look at the gifts of the Spirit. So let's read Galatians 5 and, and meditate on this together. This is the word of our God. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the flesh, or the desires of the Spirit, are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. Let's, let's pray. Our Father and our God, may we, uh, who are rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus, um, may your spirit be at work that we might bear fruit, that, we might, that the world might see evidence of your work in our lives, uh, that as we experience the freedom we have because of the grace we've received in Christ, Lord, we want to then use that freedom uh, so that we might express our faith in love. And so for us to be changed, for us to be deeply changed, we need your spirit to be at work among us this morning. So show us Jesus and give us more of your spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So we've been asking this question, right? What does the Holy Spirit do for us in the gospel? Or another way we could put it in, in terms of Galatians is how does your faith in Jesus uh, transform your life? I mean, how, if you believe that Jesus is the one who loved you and gave himself up for you on the cross in order to deliver us from this present evil age, as Paul talks about, 
right? How does that actually change us? Other than, right, we have, we have our doctrine, we have our thoughts, uh, we have our beliefs, we, we can profess and, and, and lay out the scriptures of what Jesus has done, but what difference does that make in the 10,000 ordinary moments we have um, Monday through Saturday, uh, living, living with our family members, living with other Christians, right? How do we change? Of course, we're in Galatians. And the heart of the teaching of the Galatians is that there is one gospel. Uh, there's only one way to really change. Uh, in fact, he, Paul is really blunt in chapter 1. If To leave the gospel is to leave the grace of Christ, and to leave the grace of Christ is to be left condemned under a curse. Right? He, is, he is very adamant that we need to understand the gospel, and that's what Galatians is all about, that we don't change by... by strict obedience to God's law, right? The law doesn't change your heart. Uh, it's not willpower, right? We don't live uh, what, what my Hebrew professor called solo bootstrapa, right? You just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, it's, we don't live by positive thinking or self-actualization and all these different ways that the world says, right, if you discipline yourself, you can change. Now, the, the Christian is changed by the grace of God and the gospel. And what happens is, and this is some background to Galatians, right? We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, that, that the moment you become a Christian, this is what happens. You receive the gift of Jesus' righteousness, uh, his, his perfection, uh, his loving life is now uh, imposed over our very imperfect record. To use the psalmist, right? Our, our sins are covered. And I love the way the, the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, because it's so stark. This is question 60, that though my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all of God's commandments and never kept any of them, and am, this is present tense, and am still inclined to all evil. Right? Does that sound like your battles this past week? Yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, gives or imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. And he gives these to me as if I had never committed any sin, as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me. If only I accept this gift with a believing heart. See, what the Galatians are wrestling with, right, they, they receive the Spirit by faith. They believe this gospel, that I am righteous as Christ is righteous. I am seen as perfect as Christ is perfect, even though I am still a moral failure, past, present, and future. Right, but Paul is writing this letter because they're being led astray, and their mistake that Paul is addressing is they're saying, you know what, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and now it's up to me to perfect myself. Right? By my law-keeping, by my goodness, by my effort. Right? In other words, they said, okay, I have, I have been justified. I have received this gift of perfection. Now they're trying to improve on Jesus' perfection by their own efforts. Right? That's what Paul says in chapter 3. Are you so foolish that having begun by the Spirit, are you, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
And so I just summarized a whole, whole letter here, but what Paul is arguing, right, by faith, you are given the gift of the Spirit, and because you have now the gift of the Spirit, change is inevitable. Right? You will bear fruit. And that is very different from just keeping the law, the Old Testament law. Right? Or I'll put it, put it this way, right? Paul Tripp says, right, the Holy Spirit unzips you, climbs in, and zips you back up, and now you have Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. Right? You have the Holy Spirit. He's your new roommate as a Christian, ruling and reigning in your heart. Um, right? If that is true, you can't not change. Because your roommate is also the king who created all things, and he's gonna not he's gonna rearrange the furniture in your house. <laughs> and so what matters most now, according to Paul, is not slavish, slave-like obedience to the law. What matters most is your faith in Christ expressing itself through love. That's what chapter 5 begins, right? For freedom Christ has set us free. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery, which is the law. Uh, right? we, we, can't, we can't keep the law perfectly on our own. No, he says, you are now free and you've been set free to love. And you are now empowered to love by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. right? That when you believe in the gospel, that I am seen as perfect as Christ is perfect. You're given the Spirit, and he goes to work changing us. And so let's, let's look at this. How does the Spirit change us? And there's three things here. We're going to see there's, there's now a war. We're going to look at the fruit, and it will leave us uh, as an oasis. Look at the, this new war that the Holy Spirit does for us. Right, verses, verse, verses 16 through 18, describing the desires of the flesh being opposed to the desires of the Spirit. Right, the very first thing what that happens when you are given the Holy Spirit as a Christian is all of a sudden you're, you're brought into conflict. Right? There, there is a war raging on the turf of every human heart that follows Christ. Um, it's a war between our natural selfishness, and the desires of the Spirit. And they're opposed to each other. They two, want two different things. It's going to feel like you have two different yous at work. Right? And so when Paul says the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, they're against each other. And they, they, in order to keep you from doing the things you want to do, and you go, well, which thing do I want to do? And the answer is it depends on the moment. Right? They're both, it's like a tug of war going on inside your heart. Right? And so this is the reality that, that the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, you're now, you're now engaged in active Holy Spirit-led conflict against our sinful nature. Right? We wake up at war. I mean, don't you feel it? Right? We, we've been brought into this holy war against the flesh. I like the way Eugene Peterson describes it, right? Uh, I, put, I think I put it in our reflection in the bulletin. Right? When you become a Christian, you, you're brought into the love of God the Father. That the, you, you're, you're given the love that God the Father has for God the Son. And 
you're given the love that God the Son has for God the Father, and it's made real to you by God the Holy Spirit. So you're, you're, you're swept into this loving relationship with the triune God. But here's what every Christian is up against. Right? It's an unholy trinity. The unholy trinity of sovereign self, our holy needs, our wants, and feelings. <laughs> it's a great way to think about the flesh. Because right? our flesh, this is, our, this, is our, this is my default mode. I'm picking on me here. Right? My, the most natural question I ask every single day is, what's in this for me? How does it affect me? And, and sometimes this, this battle is really obvious, right? You can see it, right? There's a very clear thing that God says don't do, and, and, and I want to do it. And other times, I, it just feels unconscious, right? So uh, Richard Lovelace says that walking in the flesh is a bit like struggling with a piano player who insists on playing anything other than the music in front of them, Right? Does that sound familiar, right? If, if any one of our musicians decided to go rogue this morning and pick a different piece of music, everyone would notice, <laughs> right? Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes, though, right, um, I find myself just getting sucked into a mire of, of self-absorption. I wake up anxious and I don't know why, or I'm afraid, or, or some kind of desire creeps in, or I'm angry, and it, there's no actual effort to rebel. It just feels like this is how it is. Right? This is the flesh. Right? We live in a fog of war. You and I are, are bombarded every day by, by our unholy needs, wants, and feelings, and we demand everyone else submit to that unholy trinity. And of course, the, the good news, and this is what I'm calling the gift of a conflict, right? When you have the Holy Spirit, now you don't fight your selfishness on your own. We don't go battle, do battle against the flesh by ourselves. No, we have God's desire, God's presence now battling our selfishness, teaching us how to love as Christ loved. Right? So maybe let me put it this way. Once, once you become a Christian... Your, your life's going to get easier and harder at the same time, right? It is going to get harder because the things you never wanted to say no to, the Holy Spirit is saying you need to say no to that because this is Jesus' commands, right? So the gift of the Spirit is this war raged on the turf of your heart. Right? I mean, C.S. Lewis put it quite provocatively when he said, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, that means that following Jesus some days is going to feel like you're being beaten up in a concentration camp. <laughs> because, why? Why is it so, so stark? Because the Holy Spirit is teaching you and telling you to say no to what you want most. Right? It's going to be a battle. But at the same time, it's easier because... because Right? We, we try to, we, we submit to the desires of the Spirit knowing God loves us. Knowing that we've been justified by faith. Uh, knowing that we no longer carry that burden of having to be perfect. Knowing that we now have the same power that raised Christ from the dead 
who has poured out God's love into our hearts, who is more committed to us changing than we are. The Spirit's committed to making you and I like Jesus. And so, I, I start here by saying, don't be discouraged if you feel both the hardness and easiness of the gospel. Right? If, if you're a Christian and you feel just worn out by the battle with your own selfishness, um, the fact that you want to do battle is evidence that the Holy Spirit is there because there is desires of the Spirit that are doing battle with the desires of your flesh. Right? And what's really encouraging is, right, Paul doesn't leave you in a, in a stalemate. He says, verse, verse 18, right, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Meaning if you stop and listen to what the Holy Spirit's telling you, who you belong to, and his plan for, for your life, right? His will, that you belong to the one who loved you and gave himself up for you, you can say no, right? There's, there's a whole new opportunity, a whole new world out there where you can say no to the desires of the flesh, right? We can change through the battle, Right, and verse 18 keeps going. <clears throat> Look at it. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. <laughs> right? Here's, here's another thing that Paul's saying. Don't, don't mistake being led by the Spirit with the law of God. Right? In other words, the law of God is not going to be the reason you change. Maybe a helpful guide. Right, that's our tradition. Absolutely. But what does the law do? The law just makes clear what, what desires my desires of the flesh are. It makes clear how selfish I am. Right? Do you believe that about the law? I mean, I don't know what kind of the way you try and change as a Christian. Right? I, I love, I, I once heard this story that, um, that there was a hotel on a beach, right? It's like, multiple stories to this hotel and out in the balcony, right? It's anybody's a fisherman here. If you, if you go out on a balcony and you look down and you can see the fish swimming around, what are you going to do? Are you going to go down the stairs and go down to the beach or try and fish from the balcony? All right, so they had a so trouble with a particular guest who, who was fishing from the balcony, right? And so what do they do? They said, okay, well, apparently we need a law for this. Let's put up a sign. Please, no fishing from the balcony, and how effective do you think that law was? <laughs> right? They actually had more people fishing off the balcony because of the sign than they had without it. And, and the, the, the illustration right, is, is showing that the human heart, when it, it's, it's just being revealed by the law, I'm going to do what I want to do. Right? God's commandments are good, but it does not have the power to actually get me want, to want what God wants, to change my, my desires, to change what I want most. Right? So if you look at, at the list here of the work of the flesh, I think it would be helpful to get practical with this. Right? The list has, the first three have to do with sexual sins, 
The next two, idolatry and sorcery, are about the, the ways we try and live uh, with, with God's substitutes, uh, to live for anything other than God. Eight of them are about how hard we are to get along with, right? fits of rage, dissensions, divisions. And then the last two, drunkenness and orgies or carousing or wild parties, depending on your translation, right? they're describing the human tendency to just throw off moral chains and do whatever feels good. Right? And they embody a life without self-control. So how do you stop this stuff? If we're going to take Paul seriously. Right? It, you could pick any one of them. I'm going to pick fits of rage. Right? This is a common human experience to lose our temper. How do you change? Right? It's a pretty familiar cycle, isn't it? Someone that we live with or near or drive by, right? I guess it depends on who you're mad at, right? They do something we don't like. We get triggered. Uh, they stepped on that landmine of your unholy uh, wants and feelings. Out come the words, the flaring of the nostrils, the eyes that we wish shot laser beams, <laughs> right? And then when we come to our senses, as Christians especially, right? This is a human experience. Afterwards come guilt and shame after the fits of rage. Uh, you can see the hurt that our anger caused. Then comes the apology, hopefully. Um, and then the promise, right? I'll, I'll do better next time. I won't do that again. You know what's missing in there? The desires of the Spirit. Right? I mean... This is the way we, we think. We look at the law and say, okay, I should not be angry. Jesus said getting angry, calling someone a moron in my heart, right? That's, that's the equivalent. That's, that's the seed of murder. I know I shouldn't do that. So don't, I'm not going to do that again. Right? And we look at the law and we say, I didn't keep it last time, but next time I got this. <laughs> yeah, I just watched a World War I movie. You know what's crazy about watching movies about World War I is how little progress they made in the battle, especially on the Western Front. All Quiet on the Western Front was the film. And they say nearly three million soldiers died in those trenches. And the way the film shows it is before a charge, one of the German soldiers nails a, a picture that he wants to come see again in the trench. Two years later, one of the soldiers comes back and one of the last things he sees is that same picture. Meaning in all that struggle, there was no change. Right? And this is, this is kind of what we do as Christians. <laughs> I know I'm guilty of it, is, is I know what I shouldn't do and I say, okay, I, I'm not going to do this, God. And I look at the law and say, I got to do better next time. Now, what, what Paul is saying, right? We're supposed to look at the gospel to change, right? Don't take another ineffective run at our selfishness with the law. The law is a guide, but it doesn't change the heart. Now, Paul says what's going to bring change is, is the spirit, right? The spirit has to bear fruit, for there to be change. And so if we're given this gift of a war, how does the spirit bear fruit and how do we actually do battle here? 
Yeah. First, I think it's helpful to know, right, this whole image of bearing fruit has a whole lot of Old Testament background to it. Right? You can start on page one. Be, humans, be fruitful and multiply. Right? There's, there's that fruit language. Psalm 1 will say, right, if you meditate on God's law, right, which includes his promises of grace in the Old Testament, you're going to be like a tree planted by streams of water and you will bear fruit in season. Right? Fruit bearing. Uh, Proverbs will say, if you live out God's wisdom, you'll become like a tree of life. And a gentle tongue is a tree of life to our neighbors. It's like they take fruit right off the tree as they enjoy our gentleness. The problem was in the Old Testament is it shows us the inability of the law to change the human heart. Right? Isaiah 5 is the famous indictment of Israel where God calls Israel his beloved vineyard. And he says, as the, the one who owns the vineyard, he shows up and says, I want fruit, I want grapes, and all I found are sour wild grapes. They aren't bearing fruit as they ought. He said, I looked for the fruit of justice, and all I found was bloodshed and conflict. I looked for the fruit of righteousness, of doing the right thing as God commands it. And what did I find? But grief and outcry, people wailing at at the ways they've been hurt. See, Israel has not been able to bear fruit by keeping God's law. It hasn't changed their heart. But what Isaiah promises, and this is what Paul knows and what his original hearers know, um, is that when the Messiah comes, the Spirit will come. And because God's Spirit is present, God's people will bear fruit. So, for example, Isaiah 51, 13 says, when the Lord, For the Lord comforts Zion, that's another name for Israel, he comforts all her waste places, and he makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving in the voice of song. <laughs> right? It's going to be like Eden, going to be like a garden, there's going to be fruit. Right? It's this beautiful imagery. And so what, what Paul is doing here in chapter 5 is he says, the Holy Spirit is going to come after the Messiah and, and do in God's people what the law was not able to do. It's going to be like a new creation. That the, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is now going to be in Christians and he's going to grow the life that God desires. Right? Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? You can run through the whole list. Against such things, there is no law. And so, what the Spirit is saying is that real change, real heart change, right? It's going to happen if you have the Holy Spirit. And the evidence will be seen in the way we, we love. Right? And that's what the fruit is it's evidence that you believe the gospel. And that God's spirit is dwelling in you. Right? So look at them. Right? Love. Love comes first because I think this is how Paul's argument works in Galatians. Right? When he says, the law doesn't matter. Right? Uncircumcision, circumcision. It's a whole conversation. Right? Do we have to be circumcised in order to be Christian? 
And he says, uncircumcision, circumcision, that's not the point. What matters most is faith expressing itself in love. And he goes on to say, the law is fulfilled by one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And then he goes on to say, use your freedom not to love yourself and to not take advantage of the freedom you have to, to do whatever you want. No, he says, through love, serve one another. In other words, one of the clear signs that, that the Holy Spirit is at work in us is the love we have for one another and our willingness to, to put that into action. Right? It's kind of the, the gateway to, to the life of the Spirit. Uh, all these other things will follow suit. Right? Joy. You'll have an indestructible gratitude for your salvation, even when life stinks. Right? Peace. Right? It's both about our our peace with God horizontally, right? But in light of the, the works of the flesh, this is also saying, look at the ways that, that, that Christ has killed the hostility between the tribes. <laughs> look at the way we can make peace with one another. Right? If, if you're a peacemaker, that's evidence that the Spirit is at work. Uh, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, kindness. God's Kindness is often connected to generosity and the way God is kind to people who don't deserve it. Right? So we're, we're going to be kind to people whether they're being kind to us or not. Uh, goodness. Right? Keeping God's law. Actually wanting to do what God says. Living a moral life that looks like Christ. There's a moral beauty to the Christian life. Uh, you'll become more faithful. Faithfulness, right? This is the idea of being dependable or loyal. We don't flake out when life gets hard. Gentleness is this idea of humility and, and not exploding in anger. Um, not demanding your own way when you enter the room. Considering others more significant than ourselves. Uh, Self-control. We're not controlled by what our body is telling us to do. We can actually say no. All of these together right, are evidence that we have put our faith in Christ. Right? So, right, how do you walk by the Spirit? How do you, how do you get to the stage? Right? We've talked about the conflict We've talked about how hard it is to put to death the works of the flesh. How do you actually walk by the Spirit? Look at verse 24. It says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, what, what Paul does after saying you can bear fruit and you will bear fruit is he immediately moves from the Spirit to the death of Christ. Right? And what's weird for us to think about is Paul has repeatedly said in Galatians, and this is the way he communicates, is he, he wants to beat us over the heads so that we finally believe 
that Christ was crucified for us and that we are justified by faith. And it's, it's about what Jesus has done for you, not about what you do for Jesus. Right? That is such a big part of Paul's ministry. Yet here, right, Paul is saying, we crucify the flesh. Right? All those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's saying we've put it to death through Jesus' death. <laughs> it's as if we've nailed our own selfishness to the cross. So what does that mean? And I, I think what Paul's getting at is the, how, do, how do you grow the fruit of the Spirit or how does the fruit of the Spirit grow in us is probably a better way to put it. Right? We look at Christ crucified. Right? For every look at your sin, take ten looks at the cross. Right? And what are we exactly are we putting on the cross? Our passions and desires, those things that are causing conflict. Right? We have things we want. Uh, we want to be liked. We want to be respected. We want our kids to hear our wisdom and act on it. We want to not be lonely. We want to have friends. We want life to be convenient, easy, right? You can just go down the list. I want, I want, I want. And what Paul is saying is Christians take those wants and we crucify the unholy wants and needs and feelings. Right? So if you take, take losing your temper, right? I'm angry and I'm exploding and using hurtful words because I want convenience or respect or someone to drive like I drive because I'm the best driver. Doesn't everyone else know that? <laughs> right? I want someone to notice me and pay attention. Well, how do you crucify that demand? Well, what does the cross say about anger? That God was rightfully and justly angry with me even while he loved me? I mean, God had every reason not to be slow to anger if we take a long look at our track record. Just look at the works of the flesh. Yet in Christ, Jesus took God's justice, he took his wrath, he gave us grace upon grace, and is now patiently committed to me until I bear the fruit of the Spirit. Right? So you say, what am I looking for? I'm looking for respect. Well, I, I've got the attention of the God of the universe. And he says, I'm justified. I'm loved. So why am I being so angry right now? <laughs> right? See so what we're when when you start to do something like that, right, what what what's happening is our desire for this thing starts to become less in light of God's desire for me at the cross. And the Holy Spirit's desire changes what I want. Right? If before I wanted respect, right? I want my words to be listened, noticed, and obeyed. The Holy Spirit says, no, you know what you should want and will want? Is say, how can I love and serve those around me? It's a completely different desire. And the only reason I want to even think about that is if I recognize what Jesus did for me while I was still angry. <laughs> right? You see how different this is from just staring at the law and expecting to change. 
Right? This isn't just stop it counsel. This isn't try harder optimism. It's living by faith in Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us and has given us his spirit to bear the fruit of love, to do battle with what we want most. Right? And so this is what the spirit does. He points us back to the gospel and through our faith in the gospel and through our meditation on the gospel, in light of what we want, right, he starts to change our desires. Two quick notes here. Right, if we're going to bear fruit, how fast should you expect the Holy Spirit to change you? <laughs> right, if, if we're going to really embrace the metaphor... Uh, it's it's going to happen in seasons, right? I mean, uh, I, I wish I could just be done with this stuff forever, right? But that season will not come till Jesus returns, right? But the idea is we should be patient. Even as we ask, to, do I actually see evidence of these things at work in my life? I mean, it's a brave question to ask, to ask those around you, do you see the fruit of the Spirit at work in my life? Right? Not perfection, right? They should be merciful, <laughs> right? Have you seen change in the last year, the last decade, the last fill in the blank? Right? Do, they, do you see fruit? All right? You know what? I, I know the temptation is, <laughs> the temptation is to want to just staple the fruit on there, right? And just not wait, right? This is an organic connection between the life of Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And, I mean, we have an ap apple tree, right? If you, you take, a, take an apple and try and staple it to the tree, you're just going to have a really gross apple. Right? The idea is you can't just say, be loving and staple an apple to a tree and expect someone to be loving. <laughs> the, the image is meditating on the law of Christ, <laughs> on the gospel, According to Psalm 1, right, meditating on what he has done, you'll bear fruit right, as you meditate on what he's done. And what's, the, what's the effect? Right, the, gift is, the gift of the Spirit is the war, the conflict, and his help in the conflict. Right? I know we're weary, especially some of you have been fighting the battle with sin for more decades than I have. <laughs> You say, man, I wish, I've, wish I was further ahead. I thought it would be further ahead than now. But the fact that there's still a battle, that's a sign of the Spirit at work. Right? So the gift is the war. The gift is the slow, patient, hard work of bearing Spirit-led fruit in our lives. Right? Love is the only thing hot enough to melt the, stubborn obstance, the stubbornness of the human heart. So the Holy Spirit shows us the love of Christ in the gospel. And third, if we as a church take this seriously, you know what it will be like? Uh, that's the other reflection. If the Holy Spirit is at work here, the church will be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, the church ought to be an oasis in the midst of a barren wasteland. It ought to be a, a place of nourishment and rest and healing smack dab in the middle of a world that goes not well, this present evil age. 
right? In other words, we tend to, I tend to approach the question, how do I change, right? Here, here the question, how do I change? And Paul's addressing the question is, how does a church change? Right? Think of the fruit-bearing image. Who is the fruit for? Is it for me, right? Do you ever see a tree take the fruit off and just take a bite? Right? It's for someone else to come and take and benefit, find rest, find nourishment, find healing. Right? I mean, that's, that's the way Proverbs talks about God's wisdom. It's a tree of life. Right? When, when someone is unkind and we respond not in anger but with gentleness for Christ's sake, that's a tree of life for that particular neighbor. They might not know it. But they're being blessed. In other words, right, we, if we believe the gospel, the effect will be, this, the church will be like an oasis in a wasteland of selfishness because it'll be the spirit training us to pour out our hearts in loving service of one another. Again, this is the ideal. But that's, that's fully what the scriptures expect, Right? Ezekiel 47, there's this mysterious throne. And underneath the throne, there's a, a stream. And then the stream gets bigger until it, fill, it becomes a, a river. And it starts to, to fill the earth. And on either side of the river are trees. Right? And it says that the leaves are for the healing of the nations and it's fruit for food. And it's an Old Testament image of God's life-giving presence flowing out from the throne that Jesus sits on, bearing fruit so that the nations might find healing and rest and peace. Right? See, the fruit of the Spirit sounds an awful lot like, how do I fix myself? But that's not the intention of Paul. <laughs> the Paul is that the church would be a living witness to, to the to the work of Christ, <laughs> that, that we would be an oasis of love in a wasteland of selfishness because we really do believe that Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And the effect will be life and others will get to come and benefit. And that's for relationships with one another because that's immediately where Paul goes is don't, don't become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Right? But it's also for our neighbors who don't know Christ that they might find rest. Right? If, you know, if our neighbors who know the law and know that the only way they're going to change is by being better and trying harder, if they come in and hear that same message from us, they're not going to find rest. But if they hear that God loves them and that they could be righteous as Christ is righteous, we're going to treat their guilt and shame completely different. Because we're going to say, me too. Look where I found healing. I looked at, look at the tree of death where Christ died. It becomes a tree of life for us. He will give you his spirit. And we'll change. Let's pray. Now, Father, we meditated on your gospel. And I pray that um, what is true and good will be written on the tablets of our hearts uh, that we would see Christ crucified for us. And we all come this morning worn out from the war with our selfishness. And so I pray this would equip us for the battle 
to crucify are the passions and desires that have been getting the best of us so that we might bear the fruit of the Spirit. So, Lord, I pray that your life-giving presence would heal us and then flow out from us to, to heal our neighbors as they meet Jesus. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Uh,